Hello and welcome to Move Conversations. This is your host, Venkat. Today, we have as guest, Mr. Chris Kosmala. He's a partner at Click and Connect, a consulting company dedicated uh, to optimize business and technology aspects of uh, supply chain operations and logistics the world over. So Chris has worked with shipping lines, ports, logistic providers in Asia, North America, South America, and Europe. And he has applied innovative information technology to improve efficiency of shipping and logistics operations, improve net margin contributions from operations, and to reduce the environmental impacts of the industry. So the theme of our discussion today will be digital transformation of global trade logistics, trends, challenges, and opportunities. We would like to thank our supporters, Priyo Ghosh, Kajanan Shanai, and MR Shankar, and others who posted some of the questions which we are taking up today. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much, Venkat. Looking forward to this uh, discussion. This will be interesting. Same here. So, you know, the global supply chain in almost all sectors have witnessed unprecedented disruptions in the past couple of years, primarily due to the COVID pandemic and related imbalances in demand and supply in terms of raw material, in terms of components, shipping containers, trackers, and you name it, right? Yes. So to get it started, what's your overall view of the current situation and the likely scenarios for the next uh, 12 months or more? Well, um, uh, 12 months. <laughs> that summarizes uh, it. <laughs> 12 months is, uh, is interesting. I would say, you know, let's, uh, let's look first, at, let's, let's look at the first half of this year. So 2022. Okay. Um, I think what you're, uh, what you're looking for is now uh, some sort of a reversal of the, of the just in case ordering, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so um, uh, if you remember about the year ago, uh, maybe a little bit uh, earlier than that, uh, if I recall, an imagining director for uh, MERS uh, mm -hmm. for North America uh, went out publicly and saying, you know, it's, it's, it's time to uh, abandon just in time because th this is just not holding uh, very well. And it's time to start thinking of just in case. Now, this is all great to say from a perspective of the, of the carrier. Uh, but that is not such an easy decision for supply chain managers, for people who finance uh, inventories, for people who finance operations in the supply chain, right? Because ordering just in case suddenly uh, means that you have to order more capacity, which may or may not be available. You may need to pay more for this, which you didn't budget for. Um, and, you know, a lot of companies um, uh, prefer to uh, balance uh, a contract ordering versus spot ordering that capacity right. um, and the spot ordering is essentially expectation that the upheaval prices going up is temporary and and they actually might subside so either way i'm hedging right by by this correct balance between the spot and contract um, and uh, therefore maybe some of them didn't listen but the ones who listen and follow up the just in case well uh, we find a lot of companies now in europe and uh, north america which are struggling with too much inventory um, why? Well, because instead of this inventory arriving in a, in a trickle, uh, yeah, slightly larger per packet, but trickle now suddenly is arriving essentially uh, in big bunches. Right. Um, 
and it's arriving late. So suddenly I might not be able to sell it. I might, need, might not be able to warehouse it. Uh, what, what am I going to do with this? Either I dump it on the market, losing tremendous amount of money, or I keep it also losing tremendous amount of money because I'm tying up operating capital um, in, uh, in inventory. So, so you will see this probably unwinding right now, but for the unwinding, what needs to happen is we need stability because supply chain managers like stability. Um, and obviously the congestions in ports, that will take another probably four or five months to unwind. Sure. Uh, congestions on a road, well, that's related to the availability of, um, of uh, trailers, for instance, but it's also av availability of the drivers. So it's, right. not, it's, it's not that easy. So maybe that is a 12 month process, right? Before we unwind this. Uh, railways, well, it depends on which economy, um, you know, that's, uh, that's always uh, a, a, a black horse. And of course, um, you know, the ongoing uh, management of the pandemic, that is still um, uh, difficult to, uh, to uh, ascertain essentially how much delays that could introduce into the supply chains, right? Right. We, obviously, we know in China it's all about zero policy. I mean, zero COVID, like no cases. Uh, so therefore, they shut down everything very quickly. One case, right. and you know, suddenly you might you might have a, a whole city or whole port uh, mm -hmm. affected. Uh, some economies do it half half, and some of them are completely open, like for, like for instance, UK. Uh, right. So as long as we don't have stability and the understanding of essentially what country will do in if the if the number of cases increases um you know we will have a little bit of upheaval but let's say that that will be fixed over the next six months right a number of cases the very serious tragic cases that's just dropping vaccinations are now available worldwide pretty much um and companies actually now know better the ones who are responsible for for execution of the supply chain, the transporters, the logistics warehouses, and so on. They know better how to operate when the workforce calls in unexpectedly, right. becomes it, right? Or now I cannot work today because, you know, I'm afraid there is a lock, lockdown in my area and so on. So, uh, so that's a six months. The 12 months, well, presumably everything will stabilize. But as you know, in supply chain, we never deal with stable situations, right? There is always <laughs> some tragedy or another that's Happening. unfolding right after you finish with one tragedy, right? Or just before you even finish one <laughs> with the last one. Yeah. So, so here you have, um, you know, a big impact of the of the invasion of Ukraine, right? The attack on Ukraine severed severed practically or cut cut into half a right. big supply chains that are flowing over railway and road from from China into Europe. Okay. Right. Uh, and you know they will they will not be able to travel to Belarus. They they are not traveling through Ukraine. You know everything is suddenly affected. So now European supply chain managers are probably looking at it and saying, "Oh my God, you know I just I barely finished with COVID, and now this right." Yeah. So that means switching from uh, from contracts that were on rail, switching to ocean, switching considering air. Now okay, so the costs. Are pre predictable? Well, they are not, right? Because suddenly, um, as airspace over uh, Russia has been closed, over Ukraine has been closed. So some, now you have to fly longer routes. Longer route, yeah. So therefore, the cost per unit increases, and therefore your logistics cost that you presumably had kind of budgeted for, let's say, for air, well, that's that's going to be affected, right? 
Well, then you're going to ocean and the ocean has its own series of problems yeah. related to ports, terminals and the shipping lines capacity. So as you see, one problem follows another. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to say how the second half of the year will look really like. Shipping. However, we probably will not be dealing with a lot of the pandemic related issues. And we'll be looking at unwinding of the big just in case uh, inventory strategies to kind of return slowly, return to just in time. Great, that's good. So, so let's come to the core theme that we had uh, set out for the today's discussion. You have done so many of these digital transformation uh, projects. Uh, the question we have is how many of them are truly end-to-end -end process management or many of them are still like kind of standalone or silo solutions? Well, supply chain is a very long end-to-end uh, uh, -end process, right? I mean, what is the end and what is the other end? If you think about this, okay, there was a source to order, uh, order to pay, um, and then uh, the part of uh, uh, that, that follows, which is the settlements and, and reconciliation. So if you look at this, there are a lot of companies uh, try to do end-to-end -end implementations. Mm -hmm. However, eventually for the purpose of managing them, right? From the, from the point of inception of the project to completion of the project, they separate them into smaller blocks. Right. And those blocks naturally fall into the functions rather than into all functions related to a particular process. Mm -hmm. So you might look at, let's say, revamp of logistics processes related to uh, sourcing, uh, uh, capacity uh, planning uh, and ordering, okay? Rather than supply chain, which now includes uh, right. uh, warehouse uh, optimization, the inventory optimization sitting in those warehouses, the specific loads that you will be that you be sending across across these lines that you purchase. So you know, naturally, it is a big project just to re revamp logistics. Now, when you think about those all other things, which which uh, consists, I, I mean, they they link essentially the sourcing part and the distribution part. Um, it it is. Uh, you will not see these these kind of projects, realistically speaking, right? I mean, right. their cost is huge. The the uh, impact on a company on an enterprise implementing this is huge. The providers have to adjust. Uh, so naturally, we we can talk about end to end, but it's usually the end smaller end to a smaller end within the larger process. Right. So that's interesting. So let's take a step back and start with you know the things that help us gather. A uh, lot of rich data, the sensors, the tracking devices, and you know, which often in common parlance are collectively called the IoT devices, Internet of Things devices, and so on. How extensive is their use in global logistics today, or global trade logistics, which which you are, and our, yeah. our audience are? And are they in their introduction phase? Are they in their growth phase? You know, give us some cases that you have seen and where they okay, are. Okay, that's a that's a good point. So I so IOTs. Uh, listen, I mean the big issue that decides whether you're gonna use IOTs is the cost. Right. And you know, I still remember uh, dealing with supply chain managers who are, who are essentially uh, you know complaining about the cost of RF, RFID tag mm. being at two dollars. <laughs> now it's at two cents. You know, we 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 can talk about the broad, broad region, broad deployment. 
IOTs are not $2 and they're definitely not two cents, right? You're looking at devices which are probably you know, 100 to $200 per device. Um, unlike RFID tags, you don't need to, uh, which when you deal with RFID tags, you don't need to return them back to the, back to the source, but IOT, well, if you have it in a container, intelligently collecting all this data and telling you where it is and uh, what's the temperature inside, was it shaken, stirred or whatever, <laughs> uh, you actually eventually have to have your reverse logistics supply chain for these devices to actually go back to the origin, okay, to be again loaded on the new container. Um, uh, so, so you're looking uh, probably at still at, at very slow penetration of IOTs into the supply chain, right? So we're kind of in those early stages of RFID when it costs $2 per tag, okay? Um, once we're in a, in a probably in about $15, $10 per IoT device, which is intelligent piece of electronics, which does all of these things, plus the logic that talks right. to it and reports on it, uh, we're probably talking about a mass implementations. Now, there are certain supply chains which are very sensitive. Um, there's the high value cargo that travels through them, right? True, true. And these are being addressed with IOTs. So electronics right, right. companies, the pharma companies, oh, yes. uh, uh, or traditional users, they actually want to invest in these technologies and they're looking for uh, the best possible tracker. Uh, now this tracker should be intelligent. So not just simply a passive tracker that you remove at the end of the journey to see what happened to it, yeah? What, was there some indication that the container has been opened, that the temperature has changed and so on? Now we're looking about intelligence, real-time intelligence. So these companies are definitely deploying this at scale. Yeah. Food supply chains, mm. food supply chains are a little bit, uh, they would like to do that, but you know, it's a, it's a low margin cargo. Yes, it is a cargo that perishes, okay? Um, but it's a low margin cargo. So of course there is, there is more hesitation. However, um, a big progress has been made in refrigerated cargo, okay? And, uh, and I think that the, the, uh, the, the big step forward was the decision by MERS uh, to implement new reefer containers, essentially replace the entire fleet of the reefer containers with containers that are um, equipped with Traxxens, that's um, a French company, uh, Traxxens uh, um, IoT device, right? Right. Um, and I, I still remember uh, these early discussions where you know there's this discovery that suddenly instead of eight data points, we have 800 data points from this IoT device. Right. What are we going to do with all that data, right? So the, there's maybe an issue of, well, we can do all of these things, but really what is it that we want to do beyond these original eight points that we have? Um, uh, also there's, uh, there's uh, third party providers. Oh, so Traxxens um, had the advantage of course of being invested as well by other carriers in addition right. to MERS. So that, that helped tremendously, right? So that means that we will be seeing deployment of these, uh, ideally in a reefer containers, because this is where the high value perishable goods are traveling uh, more frequently um, uh, overseas. Um, however, as the cost is dropping, other part of the supply chain, especially in foods, will be probably seeing um, uh, a globe, a, a, a more broader uh, reach of IoT devices and more broader deployments. And this is how I see it, right? But this is the moment where we are not talking $200 per device. 
but we were talking maybe twenty dollars per device. Twenty dollars per device. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm speculating, but what I'm trying no, to no, say no, no, fair enough. Drop fair in enough. Cost, they just to come down by a, you know, yeah, the drop in ten cost times be down, really significant. Right? One tenth, yeah, 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 yeah. So you mentioned data points, so that that brings up a, a specific follow up questions which we have from uh, uh, Mr. Shankar. Uh, you know, who heads it up for one of the European MNCs and he's based out of Europe. So he had a specific question. Is there a data point available via IoT devices to give scope three CO2 footprint by region? And that's a very uh, specific question. Yes. So yes. Okay. Now, uh, I think that every case of the implementation should be driven by the understanding of what it is that I want to achieve, okay? At what level of granularity? Right. So let's say if you know that each one of your container is, uh, is uh, let's say relates to consumption of, of X, uh, of, the, of the fuels, energy, and emits Y in terms of quantity of specific, of specific chemicals, um, I would say, is it really important to you? Or would you, actually, would you actually like to know at the more general, at the higher level, how much is, is your supply chain consuming in terms of energy and how much it's emitting? Right. So maybe rather than dealing each individual with each individual journey of each mm -hmm. individual container, you know, mm -hmm. if you're sending 100 containers a week, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of tracking over here maybe you should be interested about knowing what ship does it go on so that way you can grab the emissions characteristics of that ship use it in your calculations right. uh, for trucks well rather than individual truck that travels with your container well maybe you would like to just grab the emission standards okay which is the maximum allowable in the particular country or in a particular state where your container will be traversing on the truck and just use that value rather than knowing that you managed to improve this value by 10%, right? Because the tracker had a more efficient tractor, uh, you know, the, 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 the cab that actually uh, sits in front of the, um, of the container, right? Right, right. Um, so, you know, granularity and the cost of really tracking this at such a detailed level that has to be really justified by, by the specific case, a specific concern. I think right. at this moment, uh, my bigger my bigger concern is that we still really don't have a good handle over uh, this this general uh, at the higher level a traceability of emissions. Right. Um, okay. People are really estimating, people are guessing, uh, but we really don't have that, right? So should we make a leap all the way down to the container or package or pallet? Or maybe maybe let's 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 just use the available sources and available technology to actually track it at that higher level, and then at some point when when situation calls for it, let's go down to the granularity of a of a single package. Single package. Okay, great. So so moving on to machine learning or ML, uh, is ML what the computers can learn from large data sets that the companies have and then leverage it? Is that a fair yeah, no, so no, so with machine learning, thankfully, you know, we're not talking about the path, right? Right. Uh, if you look at the various branches of artificial intelligence, probably machine learning um, is, is probably the most prevalent right now. The reason for right. that is because the, uh, not only the data 
became available in a, in a digital format. But also, uh, we rapidly improved um, uh, mathematics behind it, right? which, is, which is the knowledge of algorithms. And we figured out better um, uh, ways to process these huge quantities of data in smaller footprint of technology, which means mm -hmm. less consumption of CPU, less consumption of energy and such, right? You know, we had optimization for uh, for last, what, 40, 50 years, right? But 50 years ago, running running a serious algorithm was, uh, was a question of uh, running for weeks on a computer. Uh, mm -hmm. That is not a question of running for a few minutes right now on a, on a computing technology that we have available today to the masses. I'm not talking about the supercomputers. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you look at that whole process um, uh, that we, we talk about in supply chain, um, uh, whenever you have good historical data, and what I mean by this good, clean for the last two years, where you right. grabbed, when you grab the seasonality of the occurrences, and two years is a minimum where you can, you can actually say, oh, that repeats in certain patterns, right? So now I can, um, I can apply appropriate algorithm to it to actually make sense out of this, trying to say, well, how will that pattern continue into the future, right? Right. So where have, where have I seen it? Uh, the, the interesting cases is warehousing. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I recall there was a, there was a customer, is a, is a big supplier of industrial um, uh, components. It's about like 3 million SKUs. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they also ran inventory so it's a it's a b2b right it's a, it's a wholesaler if you will um but they they run inventories for a number of their customers okay and inventories in this industrial uh uh equipment really means space uh so how they use machine learning is they they use it to predict essentially from the past history predict the space requirements of the warehouses okay and also location of these warehouses, okay? Because their customer base is, is pretty stable and their uh, expectations of this company running inventory as a third party for them uh, uh, is quite stable. They are able with quite high certainty predict sure. essentially where the warehouses need to be geographically located yeah. and how much capacity they need. And that is actually helpful specifically now because instead of building the warehouses, you can actually rent capacity, right? Right, right. Uh, from somebody else on a as you needed basis. So here you have a warehouse as a service, yeah? or just like we have software as a service. And these prices could get lower or higher depending on how much and how long do you need that space for, right? So when you think about uh, WeWork, it's all about estimating workforce needs, right? But right. here we have specific to warehousing. And applying machine learning allow them to, from memory, I think they save between 10 and 15% of uh, costs related to the warehousing space. So right. they either avoided building a warehouse and decided to rent from somebody else because of mm -hmm. the capacity calculations, um, or build a warehouse of certain uh, proportions, okay, which will allow them to utilize that space better and sublease it then later to somebody else because you know the predictive algorithm was saying you probably will fill up at most this warehouse to 70 percent if you build mm -hmm. it to that space okay and you know we're talking weight space and and, and the, in the cubic size um 
and therefore 30% will forever remain empty. So you can do actually something with it, right? So the opportunity uh, to make additional money on your investment, okay, which is the opportunity cost calculation, right? Uh, it suddenly improved, right? Because of this, they didn't have that knowledge before. Um, the other space where you will see it, um, uh, it's um, imports and terminals. So it's a it's a yard space uh, demand. Um, just, just not to make it too complicated, but sure. every terminal makes a specific agreement with a specific carrier, which lasts between six months and 12 months. Um, there is a minimum uh, quantity that is required for every call, okay, that the shipper, uh, the, the, the carrier will okay. discharge and will pick, right? Correct, correct. Um, and uh, what the terminals are doing is essentially they're using machine learning. So there are, I, I know of two terminals, which are using machine learning to essentially predict better, mm -hmm. okay, how much above the minimum volume the carrier will be actually bringing. Okay. Okay. So mm -hmm. therefore, you, you're better prepared because what they, uh, what they did then use the two, they linked it up with another interesting technology, which is robotic process automation. Mm -hmm. When they saw that the prediction was that the yard would be overflowing, the RPA was launching a workflow to the customer service, which mm -hmm. would then call customers to incentivize them to pick up their containers earlier. Okay. Right. Um, now, this is not by giving them 100 bucks and saying, if you come earlier, you know, I will give you $100. But it was more like, if you wait additional 48 hours or 72 hours, our yard will be actually more congested and therefore your tracker rather than spending eight minutes inside the container terminal and maybe 40 minutes waiting, will be spending three hours waiting and maybe 45 minutes inside the container terminal, right? So, so here's your choice, right? Do, yeah. you, wanna get, do you really wanna suffer <laughs> or would you like to react quicker? Now that's a very intelligent use of machine learning and RPA together, right? Right. The whole process. Right. Um, so two good examples, right? Because they, yeah. they relate to big issues that we have today, which is a shortage of warehousing spaces, especially in mm. North America. I and know. obviously a huge overload in ports, right? Where the dwell time for the containers has increased dramatically because mm -hmm. shippers are unable to evacuate their containers quickly. Therefore not leaving room for the empties, which need to be evacuated on the, I mean, loaded on, onto the, the ship and so on. So right, two big right. issues and machine learning fits fits that problem perfectly. That's that's great. So uh, so we covered warehousing, we covered port and terminal, and they do have a similarity in terms of space and the space usage and predictions, and then moving the goods in and yes. out and so on. And that took so, us already half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. So, uh, but uh, the other part was like uh, you know uh, what's happening on ships and shipping as well as. Uh, container transport, uh, any interesting projects that you would like to highlight? Uh, well, the big, the big issue is the projects uh, relate to um, uh, switching from estimated time of arrival to real time of arrival, right? right because that right. allows us to optimize uh, sending my track, my driver, that allows the terminal to behave uh, differently. Um, uh, so, so there is a lot of projects in that space, okay? That's, mm -hmm. That relates directly to the carrier efficiency, Mm. Um, to the port efficiency and to the utilization of the of the road transport, right? Right. 
um, you will see a lot of these projects. That's pretty much um, every terminal work that's um, its money is is actually working on this uh, on this uh, real time arrival. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now this is right now based not on IoT sitting in a container, right? But this is more on a, the uh, tracking of the vessel, so AIS, right? Tracking of the plane, so um, you have the corresponding GPS, and obviously tracking uh, tracking a truck, which is GPS right. or or a phone uh, handset or utilized by the driver. Right. Uh, so a lot of this is still, you know, kind of guess and derive, but it's definitely better than estimated time of right. arrival, right? Okay. It's now we, we're closer to this real, real uh, time of arrival. Uh, and I think that that helps. Now for this, obviously we need infrastructure, right? So obviously the rollouts of the 5G, the faster technologies, carrying more data, that, that will be all uh, only helping in this. And at some point with the progression of IOTs into individual package, container, a pallet, uh, we should be able to, with a great level of certainty, say where my shipment is today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this very minute. And is this, is the real time, really real time. So I, I can really narrow these margins, which is, which is quite important when you're looking at time sensitive supply chains. It's, it's, this is really critical, right? Uh, right. It's, it's between missing, missing the opportunity and, and winning the opportunities between losing the shipment to uh, conditions that drive drive it to perish versus not and so on so th this is all golden to us right so let's take the you know take the discussion uh, up a notch further um, to the you know a plat trade platform level musk and ibm collaborated and developed uh, with something they branded as trade lens platform now it was supposed to be a system where suppliers logistics players port and terminal operators ocean carriers government authorities custom brokers name it everybody end to end <laughs> was supposed to be there and they're all supposed to be sharing information that can be tracked stored actioned across the platform on the shipper's journey yeah. how successful has that been are parties involved really investing cooperating in and deploying systems you know you have highlighted some good use cases you've also highlighted the challenges so my question is like uh, have they been able to bring in some degree of you know uh, true end-to-end -end visibility and so on and so forth are, no. you know are going right. across countries yeah. data sharing and so on well, we're going back to this. What is end to end? It's port yeah. to port. It's port to port end to end, right? Because right, that's, right, that's right. really what it is. Now, right. um, or or is it a loading dock to unloading dock, right? right. And, you know, so we we can argue uh, on this one. But uh, I think everybody needs to understand what platforms like TradeLens is. Mm -hmm. TradeLens is the investors in TradeLens are the carriers. Correct. Okay. And not all carriers, because as you know, the competing carriers, some competing carriers to MERS, uh, set up another network called GSBN, right? Global Supply Network um, uh, uh, Automation. Um, so Chinese carriers use that. Um, uh, MERS and MSC use TradeLens. And there are some carriers who just, just for the sake of it, they belong to two platforms and kind of trade with. The platforms do not talk to each other. Hmm. Now. Uh, I, why I want to why, why I wanted to say this because this platform was designed originally to benefit the carriers to right. better shuffle the load to exchange quickly information uh, because you know a lot of the vessels are kind of like hotels okay there is a block of rooms for this guy and there is a block <laughs> for rooms for me 
and there's block of rooms for somebody else and there's some block of rooms for booking.com and so on and so on right right so so sometimes on a service which is the merc service you might actually have 20 other guys doing a coach here right correct uh, so it was really critical to have all of that information in one place so everybody knew what travels on whose ships okay that's what tradelands is tradelands does also a lot of transactioning okay allowing collection of information that is useful to external parties so external parties are and not all of them because it's subject to approval by the investors right which is the carriers um are allowed to use some of that data as long as the data relates to them. So you cannot just simply get the spigot open and get all your data from Tradelands only because right. you, 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 you desire some. However, unlike uh, the original investors, which had to put up real cash into Tradelands, mm -hmm. okay? These logistics companies, port authorities and so on, they actually do not have to pay, but they have to give data. So there is a, okay. you pay for data in your data. And that's a big ask, right? Because that data has to be a high quality and you yes. have to share it. You cannot say, well, that data, I, I'm not going to share it's it. But this data may be, yes? um, so obviously, while this is benefiting at this moment, the carriers, uh, the other parties know only the extent to which the carriers consider it's applicable to that. So let's say, mm. let's say part of, part of X, yeah, part of, uh, Let's not mention any cities, just sure. so, so there is no bias here. But Port of X um, would like to know all incoming ships uh, coming to that port, knowing their load and knowing their time of departure from the last port before mm -hmm. it hits this port, right? So we say, okay, no problem. Now uh, they trade, uh, uh, I mean, Tradelands uh, would say, yeah, no problem. Give me your port utilization data in exchange. Mm. And I will sort through my data and find out all of the ships that are leaving particular source and they have the next port as your port. Okay, so you will have total visibility of all ships coming to you. Okay. These ships have to belong, of course, or they, they have to be registered inside Treadlands, right? Correct. So therefore, you know, what I'm trying to say is if you have Costco ships coming to you, let's say, well, then yeah, tough luck. Now you have to either belong to GSBN and also, you know, pay for that privilege. <laughs> Or, and combine the data yourself, okay, which is a big ask for a lot of smaller ports, um, or just just deal, let's say, with you know seventy percent or sixty percent of your traffic, which is what's coming through Tradelands, right? So, so here, I would say you know we're, we're probably progressing to the next next level of that implementation, but at this moment, that's what it is, right? So it facilitates okay. better collaboration between the carriers, right? Um, which is which is already important. Okay. So we have visibility. We know that um, uh, uh, containers were rolled, for instance, which means instead of traveling on ship X Y Z, they were rolled on another ship, and they may be here not in three days, but or sorry, thirty days, but they will be mm. twenty six days. You know, so that all of that helps, and obviously all of that um, increases efficiency in the supply chain. Correct. However, for this to be really tremendously uh, valuable, all parties on land have to participate in it. Okay. Everybody has to have some data and contribute that data to Tradelands. So at some point, Tradelands actually becomes this huge database of enormous right. amounts of data. 
And as you know, supply chain is hugely fragmented. Uh, even logistics provider who are somehow related to the carrier, the customs, the tracking companies, the rail companies, they are fragmented. Uh, the freight forwarders, you know, we have thousands of those, right? Uh, <laughs> related to any particular shipment and any particular port. Um, so to bring all of these people into uh, all of these companies into trade lens, that's probably a big ask. So I would say for the time being, we'll be doing with this partial, uh, partial usefulness. Okay, but it's already better than what we had before, which is essentially right. nobody talking to anybody and no single place where you could actually even source the data. Right, right, right. Good, good. So, you, you know, um, a little while ago, you briefly mentioned uh, robotics process automation or, or RPA and beyond uh, deploying robots, uh, there needs to be process re-engineering and change management, right? Uh, are there some good case studies and how some of these things have been deployed, especially at the you know man-machine interface and so on and so forth? What are the implementation challenges? Have there yeah. been some good productivity gains? Yeah, so, uh, so robotic process automation, as long as it's properly implemented and as long mm. as it's in a process that it's very, very costly, right. uh, they are very useful. Uh, and uh, if the algorithms uh, used in the implementation as actually the self-learning algorithms. Mm -hmm. They actually improve the efficiency as we, as we, uh, as we go along. So uh, ports are probably very, very good examples. So, uh, you know, the implementation that you will see, like, you know, Port of, Mel in, uh, Port of Melbourne, one of the terminals uh, in Singapore, it's the uh, vessel uh, transaction. So it was essentially vessel invoicing, right? Uh, you know what the vessel use in terms of port services. Um, and at the end of the, of the call, you would like to send them the bill. All of that essentially consists of a lot of checking a lot of the boxes on paper right. today. Um, and somebody verifying that the invoice is correct and that is, that is going um, uh, to the carrier or, or to the owner of the vessel. And obviously you would like to avoid the disputes which mm -hmm. usually come out of somebody calling you back saying, I was invoiced for this and I never used it. Yeah. Uh, with a robotic process automation, uh, these ports essentially are reducing significantly the cost of these, of both um, selecting the services that need to be invoiced and also resolution of, um, uh, of the complaints or questions because it's essentially done by the robot as well, yeah. right? So you send the information saying, I don't agree with this line and the robot is able to respond saying, you, we charge you for this and maybe provide source documentation and attach the PDF saying, hey, hey here it is. And by the way, it has your signature on it. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's what uh, Singapore and Melbourne um, have done. And, and I would say inside the process that you manage to automate with robots, uh, you're going, they've seen a 50% drop in cost of operating that process. Okay. Okay. Obviously, the longer the process, the more intelligence you have to put into the algorithm. Sorry. And the complexity of building it probably increases to the point that it costs way much than what you're going to make uh, uh, from it. Okay. The second big issue about RPA is, um, you know, it has a huge impact on headcount because really, we're saying instead of people shuffling the papers, now we have a robot shuffling the papers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a big thing. If you, if, you, if you don't have a clear idea where you're going to put people who used to check the check boxes, okay, 
because it's not that easy to reallocate first into another task, then you know the, the chances are that um, the extent of the implementation is going to really shrink and be very small, right? So the only one that makes sense is the longer processes where the complexity is high, but the repetitiveness is also very high, then it will make sense, but it affects a lot of the workforce, which today we do it with humans. So, you know, there's a, there's a big issue between advantage of the automation versus uh, problems that you, you will be have, you, ha you have to deal with the motivation of your workforce, right? Being replaced essentially right, by a software right, robot. Right. Yeah, there's a social aspect to it also, which will yeah. also come. So, so that's, other... a, that's a flag that shows up with RP yeah. projects. Absolutely, absolutely. So another uh, you know technology that has been often talked about is digital twin implementation. So have there been some good, uh, interesting digital twin implementation in global supply chain? Because you know GE and others talked about it in medical devices, in yeah, uh, jet yes. engines and things like that, and power plants. But like, how is it been in a complicated now, supply chain logistics? Listen, it's for 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 digital to to completely represent a supply chain, which consists of a lot of moving parts um, with digital twin or digital representation. It is very, very uh, costly. I agree. Okay? There's a lot of things that you, you have to put and then to calibrate this and to, to, to actually put, uh, you know, see how it's learning. It's a big challenge. That's a, that's a big commitment. Absolutely. So, Unfortunately, I cannot talk. I, I know of some pilot projects, but I cannot talk about projects that essentially were completely successfully implemented to give digital representation of, of, um, of the supply chain. Now, what you will see is that first phase. So there is a lot of simulation. Okay. Now, what that simulation is essentially in digital twin is that I, the human, okay, interrogate the twin saying, based on the history of everything would you learn about my orders, my services, the stuff that I deliver, the people that I needed for it, uh, what would happen if that happened? Mm -hmm, okay. mm -hmm. how, how, how the trend may potentially change, how the, mm -hmm. how the line actually may be up or down. So, so you will see that. However, the digital twin promise is not you interrogating a data, asking machine to essentially run it faster. Right, right. It's essentially the algorithm who is sitting there and interrogates itself. So you think about Google supercomputer playing a, play a game of Go, rather than looking at all history of all previous games um, and learning from that, the second version essentially said, well, what if I played like this? Mm. It was never played like this before, but I have all this processing power here. I'm just going to go at it, right? So instead of playing, let's say 20 million combinations of how to play Go, I'm going to play 20 billion combinations. Some of this never heard of before. That's Correct. the reason why the second version of the computer managed to defeat the first version of the computer five to nothing. Right? <laughs> While the first version struggled against human player and managed to only win five to three, I think, or something like right, that. Right. <laughs> so so that's, that's what it is. That's a digital twin, where the machine is actually thinking and rethinking and playing against itself. In supply chain, as you know, that is incredibly difficult because okay. it's very difficult to imagine, even for the machine, of what could potentially happen. Here is a war. Here is a declaration of nuclear weapons moving into adjacent countries. Well, mm -hmm. how do you evaluate all of that? It's, you know, I probably say, okay, machine, please rest. 
<laughs> I, I will humanely look at this and saying, okay, no, no, what, what, what essentially happened? Right? Right, so, right. so digital twin um, uh, still in a, in a stage of being desired. Right. Okay. But probably for as long as we have these upheavals, uh, it's, it's probably going to be used in a limited space. So digital twin right. for imagining warehouse space, digital twin to imagine port capacity and, uh, mm -hmm. and operational effectiveness, mm -hmm. a terminal, uh, railway, and so on. So, you know, this uh, very distinct pieces, but probably not the whole supply chain. Okay, awesome. That's that's interesting and makes sense. Makes sense rather than uh, some of the big bang projects because you know um, certain attack certain issues head on first. So uh, the next technology we wanted to talk to you about is blockchain implementation. Uh, how has that gone in global you know uh, trade and uh, logistics? Uh, so are there been good supply, you know, logistics? Well, you know, we have heard about the country of origin, <laughs> date of shipment, delivery, you know, uh, things yeah. like that. But like uh, beyond yeah. that? Well, TradeLens was a good implementation of uh, blockchain, <laughs> right? So here you have it. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, yeah, food, well, I mean, the sourcing, right? So source assurance and then journey assurance. Um, it is actually quite valuable. So a lot of pharmaceutical companies implemented blockchain for, for this. Right. Uh, the examples uh, outside of uh, pharmaceuticals, um, uh, is, uh, there is a Unilever, mm -hmm. right? Which, uh, which has a blockchain for, uh, for the tea. Right. So tea source and origin, and then of course what happened to it during the journey, right? So that's all assured by blockchain. Um, uh, the bears, right? So this is the, uh, For the diamonds. Diamonds. Yeah. That's that is you know it's one of those critical things. So obviously there was a very interesting. It's uh, it's called Tracker without the E. Uh, that system that is also based on blockchain. Uh, Walmart has mm -hmm. blockchain uh, projects a lot around the sourcing, the truth of source, and so on. Right. Um, and Alibaba has a lot yes. of these uh, as well. Yes. Uh, this is the reason in for the that supermarket because, and all that you can. Well, see supermarket things. is one thing, but if you remember, at some point, um, uh, Alibaba was accused of uh, of facilitating resale of uh, fake goods. Fake, fake goods. Yeah, the other yeah. one. Yeah, is the uh, other thing fake, that they... fake, fake branded goods. Um, and the implementation of the blockchain was actually used to essentially uh, not only to Authentic. eradicate this, but also to be auditable. Uh, auditable so now you can say and saying, "Hey, I have it in the blockchain." Okay, it yeah. has not been altered. You can check that it has not been altered, and here's the here's the proof, right? So this is this is the best. But with all of these blockchain things, okay, you have to remember that once the data is in, it's assured. We know that it has been manipulated, changed, um, you know, affected. There was there was a malicious action against. It. However, what blockchain does not have is guarantee that the data that has been put in is actually real. Correct. Right. Uh, so as you remember, there was this uh, big breach of uh, Swift network by somebody injecting instructions yeah, yeah, yeah. in a branch ba bank, a bunch of uh, a branch in Bangladesh. Bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which caused massive. And then Philippines and all sorts of things got caught Oregon, up. Right? Yeah, massively, yeah, very quickly yeah, yeah, distributed. Yeah, yeah. So, so here it is, right? The malicious action of the at the data entry point and blockchain being unable to validate, but yet assuredly transfer the money out. Right? 
until a human checker said, "Wait a second, this, this is, uh, there was a." <laughs> how, I think there was how, a yeah, it's a spelling mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. They said that like like anyone who has been doing this won't make the spelling mistake, right? Correct, correct. So blockchain does not really have that validation. So for this, you need other mechanisms, right? Yeah. To yeah. make sure that the data that has been entered is actually true, uh, and it's actually not already false, because then you know, essentially, blockchain is used to facilitate exchange of false data without knowing that that's what it's right. doing assuredly and very yeah, safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the you know the malicious acts and uh, assurance or you know uh, leads you know is a good segue for my follow-up question is that you know in recent uh, you know months and weeks you know almost every week uh, many crypto and nft thefts and thefts and scams have been reported so i wanted to know what are some of the notable security or fraud cases that you know that have taken place uh, you know after somebody implemented a blockchain or a trade platform uh, projects uh, is anything in the public domain that's what i'm you know uh, i think because when they go quite... to the court and things like that then they come out in the public domain right yeah so. and a lot of these things are actually solved by settlements so yes, yes. you never know right um uh, so uh, why i would like to share i i don't have really any examples that i know whether through my private work or, or publicly available sources where you, you would actually find information saying there was a fraud, right? Mm. We know that it could be broken in many ways, right? Okay. Either before the transaction gets injected uh, or after the, the transaction has been, uh, has been consumed in some ways. Um, so the history can be essentially changed uh, in some ways, but we don't really know to what extent that fraud is affecting us. Now, okay. uh, now having said that, supply chains are probably not these high value targets. I'd say cryptocurrency is a high value target, right? Yep. And that's where the breach happens because I can exchange that currency for real, real money, right? Supply chain, well, if I, if I manage to, to grab um, a shipment of oil, well, I have to physically accommodate this, you know, vessel to vessel transfer, you know, get to the tanks and so on. So it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, when you have an asset or commodity, uh, it's probably much more difficult to, to go for a big fraud. Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. But in a cryptocurrency, that's it's easier, right? It's it. much easier and it's virtually untraceable. Although I have to say, you know, there's a very recent case in the United States where they did manage to grab somebody oh, yeah, to yeah. raid and exchange and so well, yeah, you know yeah. uh, something that was worth maybe two million and suddenly it's worth now 200 billion right? billion things like uh, yeah, yeah, something, yeah, yeah. something outrageous amount right because they the value of the currency has raised, gone up and they started selling and because they started selling this is what i'm trying to say is at some point the transaction left the secret vault and became visible to the law enforcement Right, 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 right. And the advantages of black blockchain finally showed up, right? That hey, yeah, yeah. it's showing up. Yes, yes, yes. And now <laughs> I can finally trace you that that was you who broke into that. Right? So it's okay. But you know, for a long time, that you know, they managed to sell smaller amounts to other other people. So they managed to launder some of that some of that amount. Um, yeah. Now imagine doing That's, this with commodity product yeah. in the supply chain. That is much more difficult than unless you have 
willing yeah, yeah. buyers, willing no, it's not that's that's work. a different thing. It's almost like the physical kind of yeah, a thing. It's yeah, about yeah, yeah. Uh, documentation frauds and things like that would be the first yeah. uh, things that will probably show up, right? And things like that. And uh, good. So so the other thing that is the human aspect of all of this, you know, what jobs uh, in the whole spectrum of global trade, supply chain, logistics, etc., are more likely to be automated. And what critical skills should young grads uh, entering this industry uh, acquire? Yeah, okay. Well, um, thankfully, we're talking about the grads, right? So grads are, yeah. of course, not looking for a basic administrative jobs inside mm. supply chains, logistics, execution, and such. Mm. Uh, uh, therefore, they will not be at risk of being replaced by the machines. But I would say if you are a worker in a warehouse, okay, mm -hmm. a fully automated warehouses are coming our way. There's, 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 there's no question. Okay, these robots uh, right now running around the warehouses are getting cheaper and cheaper. The yep. technology to drive them is getting, is getting uh, highly efficient right now and it's, and it's very cheap or, or it's becoming cheaper. Um, therefore, I would say warehouse workers, basic menial uh, physical tasks, that's going away. It's just, you know, there will be aware, this is just like the ships, right? We, a big container ship, we used to operate with 25 people. Mm -hmm. uh, now you go on a ship that is three times the size of the ship that was then was big, and you have seven people. Okay. Oh, yes. That's, that's what it is, right? Because a lot of other tasks, you really don't need it. Yeah, you still need the mechanics looking at, you know, down in the engine room, but you need fewer of them. On the bridge, yeah. you don't need nearly as many people as we did before. And obviously, you know, cooking, well, I can prepackage a lot of the meals. You don't even need the cook, right? And if um, there are only seven people. <laughs> yeah. There's only seven, seven people and maybe a, a mask of dog or cat, right? So, you know, <laughs> not, not, not much to feed, mouth to feed. Um, uh, robotic process automation. So all of these processes that are, you know, um, verification of something that has been documented. Mm -hmm, uh, I mm -hmm. think that these jobs are going away. There's just, mm -hmm. there's just no future in them mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the robots are much better and they're getting pretty good at saying, oh, this box wasn't checked, should have been checked. Is it important? Is it not this subject of possible complaint or, or, or settlement talks or something like this? Machines can evaluate these now. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Rather than just simply saying, check, yes, no, not you know, yeah, yeah. visible. Signature, yes, no, right? Now they're saying, well, signature, no, but it was it important over here or was the initial sufficient, right? So the machine yeah. can do it right now. Uh, so a lot of these, these tasks are going away. Mm. If you're going into supply chains, I would say as a, as a graduate, um, in addition to knowing a particular function, become interested in a particular function, but not only in that function, but also in adjacent functions. So when we were mm. talking end to end, Okay, be interested across multiple functions because a lot of these jobs are being consolidated now into mm -hmm. one. So somebody mm -hmm. who is only responsible for customs documentation now may need to also deal with the security checks uh, on the cargo, uh, country of origin or some, some other things that are probably outside of the basic validation of the customs documentation, right? So become interested in how that's being performed, what's needed to perform this thing mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. And, and also think ahead of, is this repeatable and therefore can it be replaced with technology? Right. Because right, if right, it right. can, then you should also bring systems thinking to your job where you can introduce 
improvement in a process by saying to your new manager and your new company saying, you know what, this one we can actually automate. That's very useful because, because the, uh, uh, the, the hiring managers, while some of them may be afraid of their jobs being replaced by automation and all this stuff, actually sure. they do not care because their KPI is to reduce mm. the cost. Correct. And therefore they can take your idea to the higher management and say, you know, there is this, this new guy and, you know, yeah, kind of he, he's full of himself or herself, but they have an interesting idea. Mm. And that might actually help us to save money, reduce the cost, mm. because the cost of logistics, the cost of operating, executing supply chain is still quite high inside the right. company. And any reduction could be used as an as a advantage. Either the company right. makes higher profit or mm -hmm. is able to pass it on to their customers so therefore become more competitive by offering lower price. Right? Correct. Because the cost of supply chain really, really adds up, right? When you, when yep, you look yep. at Absolutely. everything that, that, that goes in under the umbrella of logistics and supply chain uh, execution and management and planning. Right. Right. So, so this is why I said system thinking, bring to your job. And by systems thinking, not only that, hey, the systems could be used over here where there is a number of humans, but also, that's the function that they're asking me to do. What are the adjacent functions? Because if this job gets consolidated, something else, right. I should be right. the first choice for that new uh, overseeing of that consolidated Absolutely. function. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. So Chris, uh, I teach a course called Managing in a Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous context oh great VUCA. <laughs> <laughs> VUCA context right yeah, yeah, you'll, shock, be, you'll be busy you'll be busy for the foreseeable future <laughs> hopefully <laughs> so uh, in that my students do an exercise to look at various factors you know social technological economic ecological yeah. political legal etc and the industry trends on top of it and try to identify what could be the vuca challenges and opportunities a particular company can face now that's what they do in their in their course yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, my question is going to be that if an ai system starts scanning news information picks up important data you know economic indicators legal restrictions travel restriction outbreak of disease you know what right the whole thing and starts doing predictions some convertible actions insights maybe prescriptive you know suggestions and so on could it have helped a company when the pandemic broke out and the crisis became bigger and bigger yeah, well, the first one, I think this, this is really going back to the digital twin, right? Because exactly. that is a, or AI in yeah. general, right? Which we yeah, didn't yeah. Oh, well, you know, bigger uh, AI. digital twin is essentially AI implementation, Absolutely. a more complex implementation, right? Because that's a right, deep right. learning rather than a machine learning. Exactly. Now, <clears throat> now uh, think about this, right? It just throws me back to my MBA times and, uh, and uh, the PESO fra uh, framework. Yeah, exactly. And if you remember the piece they do that. For, for political, right? Yes. And this is what I'm trying to say is um, a machine is only as good as the things are predictably following the course. So let's exactly. say, uh, so let's say uh, inflation goes up. Oh, therefore Federal Reserve or the central we'll bank do this. Will, be, will do this, right? That's predictable. Um, however, uh, the last five years, I would say, supply chains were not affected by the predictable things, but actually the unpredictable, unpredictable. behavior. Exactly and why I asked this question. Right. right. So so you're looking at this and saying, there is, I, I, I cannot 
I mean, I'm a big fan of machinery, right? Because obviously yep, yep. applied mathematics is in my background. Mm -hmm. um, however, these political things, they're, they're completely unpredictable, right? Right, uh, right. Would you have guessed what would happen to your supply chains because uh, Republicans elected uh, Trump and then America elected Trump as a president? Would you have predicted the upheaval in the supply chains that are flowing between China and United States? Probably not. And there is, I hardly imagine. Or, the or how much, like you have done in your MBA, how much of scenario planning could you have foreseen and they, you know, thought through and done it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you would have to feed this machine and, you know, the training data. I mean, we've never, yeah, exactly. never had president like this <laughs> and we never had a fight like that, right? Right. You know, earlier, I mean, when China was joining WTO, right? And, and there was a, a high percentage of approval for this. Correct. There is no machine who could have predicted actually what will happen 20 years later and Correct. how that will lead to a trade war. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, you, you can scan, scan the news and you, the machine can probably figure out that there is a high danger of disruption of the supply chains that flow through Ukraine somehow. So China to Europe. Uh, but would, would, it, would it actually derive sufficient information to say, well, Belarus is a, uh, is a, is a close uh, supporter of, uh, of Russia, mm -hmm. and they will block also the access to the, for the alternative routes into, through Poland to the EU border. Uh, is, that, is that feasible? Right. Um, you know, probably not, right? So you really need human in the process, sure. uh, which either guides the AI, or at some point just says, okay, I, I, I have enough of this guiding and trading and training. Mm -hmm. I, I, I will just, just do it myself, right? With my <laughs> own brains and my own understanding of the event. And, you know, our understanding of the events may not be even much better than the machine, right? Our, right. our chance of error maybe is 50%, just like the machine will error. <laughs> yeah. But at least, at least here we can blame specific person for specific decision. I would say it's very difficult to trace the chain of responsibility back to the machine and saying, machine right. told me that. Yeah. So yeah, therefore, yeah. you know, that is very difficult to explain uh, to the CFO, to the, to the shareholders of the company. Saying, right, well, the machine right. told me this, and therefore we made a decision like that. Right. Um, you know, that, so I would say uh, that this, uh, all of these analysis and, and your course hmm. um, should really, should really not, I mean, the technology will be making progress, but I would say AI, there, there is no sufficient training data to predict that political part. Yep, okay? yep, yep, yep. So yep. economically, where I can derive some behavior basis, although I have to say, is, you know- In fact, political and so social also, right? How yeah, would yeah, humans yeah. collectively behave and then socioeconomic, right. right? That So, so, so you know, half of them yeah, yeah, disappear, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, here's a you know, I was as I was just talking to, uh, to you, I was listening to myself and thinking, well, wait a second, machine would have never predicted that the central banks will keep the rates at near zero for so long. <laughs> right. No machine would predict that. Machine would say, no way, no way, no way. Right? <laughs> and then every quarter we were looking at the zero, 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 zero point zero. one or something like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly saying, how long can this continue? How much right. debt the central banks or the economies can take? Right. Uh, so whatever predictions we had before on whatever assumptions we would give to the machine saying right. the debt will never cross this border, well, that has been all long crossed, right? So 
So the value of the machine is there, okay? But I would say in your course, in that specific course, mm -hmm. the unpredictability will still require uh, humans, right? To humans. think through. So, yeah. so which means and they can the use reason. these learnings in the future still, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. But that goes back to who do you need to be if you're graduating right. and you're going into this business? You exactly. need to have that systems thinking, connecting the dots when sometimes there is no obvious connection because the machine will not do it for you. So if you rely on the machine to tell you what's the possible solution prediction is, uh, you, you, may be, you may be in deep trouble very quickly, right? Yep. So that systems thinking is critical. If you're just looking at your function, if you're just looking at one event and you, you think, okay, well, that's easy to fix or, or maybe it's more difficult to fix, but it's, I know the fix. Well, in a system thinking, you know that the number of variables dramatically increases number of possible outcomes. So yeah, using the machine to go quickly through the outcomes that are probably not feasible, okay? but then concentrate on a number of cases that the machine says they're plausible, they may happen. And, and then you determine essentially which, which plausible outcome exactly. will actually the most likely affect you, right? Right, so human and machine, man yeah. and machine. Yes, but learn how to, how to exactly. use it. Yeah. Rather than just simply say, well, the machine is there and you know, it will spit out uh, this and that, the dashboard, the yeah, report, yeah. this and that and that. Um, learn to evaluate this critically. And, you know, in MBA, there is quite a bit of that critical thinking, right? Especially if the MBA courses are structured around cases rather than right. theories and frameworks. And I would right. say your course has to insist on that, a combination of case work mm. to, to actually understand how to use that technology best because right. it's there. So why yeah. not, right? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you have to critically think as well because right. you'll be called to action to choose, instead of choosing out of 500 scenarios, you might need to have five final scenarios right. where you will have to make a decision, not the machine. Right? Correct, correct, correct. Fascinating, fascinating discussion, Chris. Thanks a lot. Uh, you know, I could go on and on and uh, you know, you're full of information and uh, real life experiences in this. Thank you. Thanks for sharing with us. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was absolutely you. pleasure and so, sorry to running over slightly, but- No, 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 no. I don't think that's, that's <laughs> not the thing. I think, no, it's very important that we all, like, you know, uh, uh, people get the right, you know, deeper understanding of the issues and that is more important, uh, you know, so that's 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 what differentiates this interview from any of the news channels thing where they have a time uh, bound restrictions. That's why we call it conversations. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.